come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good morning, Lake Hills Church. My name is Whitney Wiseman, and I am on staff here, and I have been on staff here for about 12 years, and um, I am so grateful to be a part of this family. I'm so grateful that my family now gets to be a part of this church family. Um, speaking of Thanksgiving, that is one of the things that we are most thankful for and it's, it's you guys, so thanks for being our family, and I'm grateful for Mac and Julie um, and for letting, for them, letting me be here with you all this morning. Let's, um, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? God, we thank you so much that we can come into your house today. God, that we can recognize that this is the day that you have made, that we can be glad in it. God, we thank you that you are a God who created rest. God, that you are a God who embodied rest that you are the God who gives us rest. And we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truths that you have for us from your word this morning. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, we're gonna start with a moment of self-reflection. I want you to think back um, and consider, has there ever been a time in your life where somebody asked you like a really simple question, but you just like froze and couldn't answer it? I was like, I hate being put on the spot. That is my worst nightmare. I always sat in the back of the classroom at school. Just like, I just freeze up. One time this happened about 10 years ago. Um, we were hosting um, David and Lisa Hughes. They're the pastors of Church by the Glades in Florida and good friends with Pastor Mac and Julie. And they were in town and we were like mingling around and Lisa came over to me and said, hi, like we're just like talking. And she said, what do you do here at the church? Um, and at the time I was the director of missions, but for some reason I like froze. I was kind of newish. I could see Julie and like I was just thinking like, don't screw this up, don't screw this up. And I like looked at her and I said, I am the missions magician. <laughs> and yes, I did do my hands like that. And she just looked at me and nodded and was probably thinking like, what kind of church is this? And she just slowly backed away and found someone else to talk to. And I was like, why did I say that? What? There have been other moments more recently where we saw a friend um, who lives out of the country. We haven't seen them in a long time since before the pandemic started. And we saw her and she asked like, hey, how's it been going? What have you been doing? How was your, your quarantine experience? And again, I kind of froze and was like, well, how do you answer that? That is like a really loaded question. Like, uh, the times were unprecedented. We made a lot of banana bread. I had a baby. I had, like, work, work is fine. Work, we're good. Uh, I was like, like a really complicated question, but as we have moved back into more normal rhythms of life, questions like that, hey, how are you doing? Uh, what's been going on? Big, um, um, have more normal responses, right? We go back to our rote rhythms of, oh, we're good, 
we're just really busy, or man, things are super hectic at work, or this, man, this time of the semester with this workload, it, it's just, I'm just swamped. It's kind of an oversimplified answer to our very complicated lives, but it's also very true for all of us. This has become the norm. We are busy people. We are tired people. We are weary people. If that is you this morning, if you are feeling busy and tired and weary, the gentle reminder for you that why the weary, weary world rejoiced on the holy night that Jesus was born. Because Jesus came that we would have life to the full, not necessarily life to the busy. Busy doesn't equal full. Life to the full might mean that we need a little bit less in our lives, that we do a little bit less, that we hold on to things a little less tightly. Busy does not equal full. Busy equals rushed and hurried and disconnected and exhausted. Here's the thing about being human is that we all need rest. Everybody rests. The thing about rest is rest is relentless. It will find you. So you either create the space for rest or rest will hunt you down. Busy leads to burnout. But full life in Christ leads to life that is rested, life that is restored, and life that is ready to do God's work in the world. Our anchor verse for this sermon series is Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and it is an invitation to rest in and with God. It is an invitation to live life to the full as Jesus intended. It says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if you noticed that Jesus doesn't say, all you who are weary, just take a seat right where you are. All you who are carrying a heavy load, just go ahead and drop it and take a quick nap and you'll be, you'll be fine. No, there is an active component to this rest. This has really impacted me as I've been thinking about this and preparing this, that, that this active component to rest um, requires some intentionality on our part. This rest doesn't just happen to you while you sit idly by. Jesus says, come to me. He says, learn from me. Take on my yoke. Often we think of rest as just the absence of work, but the reality that this rest requires a little bit of work on our part. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He tells us how to work towards this rest. He tells us to be careful how we live, to pay attention to what we are doing, to watch where we're spending our money, to be intentional with our time, to notice how our actions affect our neighbors. He says, be careful how you live. 
And Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. So that is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to carefully look at the life of Jesus, and then we are going to carefully live it out as we leave here. Because the way of Jesus teaches us how to dial down the distractions of our lives and cultivate calm and content hearts. The way of Jesus teaches us rhythms of rest for our lives. So looking at the life of Christ, we see the first pattern, the first rhythm of rest that Jesus created was that he consistently created quiet. Jesus continually withdrew from people, from the activities of daily life, from the demands of the ministry to be alone. See, this silence and this solitude, this time that he carved out, was the source of his compassion, the source of his wisdom, of his power. It's what enabled him to heal people, to feed people, to see people, to be with people, to fulfill his ministry on this earth. And he starts the very beginning of his ministry. Having just been baptized by John the Baptist, his ministry is launched into the world. Now, this is the point where we would like hire a PR person, try to get on the like evening, night, late night show circuit, we would like buy some advertising space. Um, this is not your typical product launch here. Jesus, instead of making a lot of noise, withdraws to the wilderness. He, it says in Mark, Mark 1, 12, that the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. See, the wilderness was not a place of weakness for Jesus. No, this quiet was intentional. This was the source of his connection with God the Father and God the Spirit. This was the place where he gained the strength and prepared for his ministry. He carved out quiet from the very beginning. And we see this pattern continue throughout his ministry. Um, Mark 1.35 tells us that before daybreak, the next morning, he got up, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later in Luke, it tells us that one day soon after Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, he prayed to God all night at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. See, the busier Jesus got, the more decisions Jesus had to make, the more he retreated, withdrew, and created quiet places in his life. Up until the very end, where he went to the Garden of Gethsemane with some of his disciples, the place where he would be arrested, where he would be led away to trial, beaten before he was led to the cross. He created quiet moments. Mark 14 tells us that they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. If we keep reading, we see the disciples fell asleep, but the one who found real rest was Jesus, who submitted his will to the Father's will, not my will, but yours. He trusted God's purpose and God's plan for him, and that connection, that quiet moment is what helped him endure what he would take on the cross. Creating quiet was a common habit throughout Jesus' life and ministry. The next pattern that we see, the next rhythm of rest, is that Jesus redefines and observes the Sabbath. Jesus, being Jewish, regularly observed the Sabbath, though his practices looked a little different than the social norm and the, the expectations of the Jewish leadership. 
You see, there were tons of laws protecting the Sabbath, helping people to abstain from work. And the religious leaders are constantly following Jesus, looking for ways to trap him. And they pose this question in the synagogue on the Sabbath, seeing a man in need of healing. They ask Jesus what they think is a gotcha question. They say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And unfazed, Jesus answers in Matthew chapter 12, And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. See, Jesus is concerned about us genuinely connecting with God and then what that looks like as it overflows into our lives. Sabbath is not just about rules. It's about a relationship. It's no longer a 24-hour period, but a person. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He is the embodiment of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament law. No longer is the Sabbath about physical inactivity on our part, but looking for God's activity and transforming and renewing the world. It's no longer self-focused, but God-focused. How can we join in on the work that God is doing? Jesus, being the manifestation of God who rested, shows us that God is not a workaholic, that God, um, that the well-being of creation does not depend on ceaseless labor on God's part or ours, and the Sabbath asks us to consider how we might also create rest for our neighbors alongside of us. Jesus observes and redefines the Sabbath. The third rhythm of rest we see is that Jesus celebrated simplicity. Jesus is single-minded. He is not distracted. Rather, he is focused on his ministry to people and on glorifying God the Father, but bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. He teaches us how to do the same through his teaching on loving others, living sacrificially, overcoming worry and fear, but first and foremost, seeking the kingdom of God. He teaches a lot about resources, about food, about money, about clothing, but all in the context of what it looks like, of, all in the context of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, he tells us what it looks like to live a full life, one that is first and foremost a heart for God, and then out of that love, hospitality for others. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus isn't telling us that money is innately evil, but he is telling us that money makes for a lousy God, as do all other gods that we elevate above the one true God. It's like he knows our hearts. It's like he knows our tendency to focus on material goods. He knows that that focus on material goods leads to endless productivity, and endless productivity leads to endless restlessness, and God came to give us rest. Living simply and single-mindedly reminds us of that. It reminds us to focus on our relationship with God, and when we do that, we separate ourselves from the world of commodity and production. Patrick Miller is a editor of a Bible commentary called The Interpreter, and he points out that the command to Sabbath within the Ten Commandments is the bridge that connects all of the other ones. That when, when we are resting in God, 
that they, we have no other God before God. When we are resting in God, we have no room to make idols. When we are fully resting in God, we cannot be taking the Lord's name in vain. He says also when we're resting in God, there is no room for murder. There's no room or reason for adultery or stealing or lying or coveting. It's a bridge that ties it all together. Rest, full, rest is full life in Christ. Creating Sabbath creates a commonality and a cohesion between us and God and our community. It connects us when we rest together. When we honor God, when we honor God and rest in God, we're in right relationship with God and with others. It also prevents the abuse of our land and people on the margins and abuse of power, abuses that have become far too normal and restlessness that has become far too normal, which is why Jesus continuously points us back to the kingdom of God and single-minded simplicity. The fourth rhythm of rest that we see is that Jesus practices patience. Jesus is patient. He is calm. He is careful. He is unhurried. He moves through the world in a pace that I can only aspire to. Even though his life is full to the brim with relationships and commitments, things that are vying for his attention, he never seems rushed or stressed. We've seen that Jesus is unhurried enough to pray to carve out and cultivate time of quiet. We've seen that he was unhurried enough to Sabbath that he was unhurried enough to live simply. We also see throughout the Gospels that Jesus is unhurried enough to see people, to really see people. He's unhurried enough to stop and feed them. He's unhurried enough to heal them. He's unhurried enough to be present with people. He's unhurried enough even to notice when a sick woman touches the tassel of his robe. Matthew 9, 20 through 22 says, then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up to him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And, that, and, the, mom, and the woman was healed at that moment. There are days where I am too hurried to realize that my shirt is on inside out, but not Jesus. No, Jesus is moving slow enough to realize that someone has touched the tassel of his robe. He is moving slowly enough to notice. He's moving slowly enough to stop. He is moving slowly enough to see her, slowly enough to encourage her, slowly enough to heal her, to transform her, to take on the burden that she had been carrying for 12 years. Jesus is not rushed. He is not worried about being on time, or rather he is constantly on God's time and God's rhythm of rest. And it's not just this one woman, but we see this over and over again in the, in, throughout the Gospels, that Jesus is unhurried enough. He's practicing patience, and because of that, he is able to be present with people. He is tuned in to the purposes of God and the Holy Spirit who produces peace and patience within us. 
So these are the rhythms of rest that we see when we look at the life of Jesus, that he creates quiet, that he redefines Sabbath within the context of relationship, that he preaches single-minded simplicity, a focus on the kingdom, on loving God and loving others, and that he practiced patience. Now, I don't know about you, all of this sounds lovely, but I wonder, like, what does that look like for us today? Because... As far as I have checked, there aren't any verses about Jesus having an iPhone in his front pocket or having to check all of his emails. Jesus like, may not have driven the, the carpool line that you drive or manage the team of people that you manage at work or be in the most hectic part of your semester at school. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and let's envision what it would look like if Jesus was here today. And so if you, if I have any uh, 90s youth group kids, this is the time to pull out your WWJD bracelet and we consider what Jesus would do in the 21st century. Paul reminds us to be careful how you live. So we're going to get really practical and talk about a few practices that we can put in place. But as we do, it's important that we, remember, that we remember that perfection is not the goal here. We are trying to dial down, even just a little bit, dial down the distraction so that we can cultivate calm and content hearts, so that we can create sustainable rhythms of rest in our lives, patterned after Jesus. So, as we be careful how we live, and we live like wise The way of Jesus teaches us, first, how to dial down the noise and the crowds and cultivate quiet. Tell your neighbor, you can do it. it. I don't know if you really believe that they could do it. Tell them one more time. Tell them, I can too. too. You can create quiet. I know, life is busy and loud, and moments of quiet are few and far between, but you have the power and the control to create and cultivate quiet in your lives. It may not always look I mean, I always look the same every day. I love that pattern that Jesus shows us. Sometimes he got up early in the morning. Sometimes he spent time with God at night. Sometimes he retreated on a boat or up on a mountainside during the day. It wasn't always every morning at 5 a.m. over a cup of Folgers reading Jesus Calling. It, it, there was some dynamicness to it. I don't know if that's a word. Um, but he was intentional. And that is what is most important. He didn't wait for that time to come to him. Rather, he created that quiet. And we can be that intentional in the same way. Abraham Heschel is a rabbi, and he says, How else express glory in the presence of eternity if not by the silence of abstaining from noisy acts? So I want you to consider what noisy acts can you abstain from this season, this week, maybe even just today? Perhaps we could practice mindfulness. A couple of Christmases ago, Julie talked about a mindful minute. There's just 60 seconds where you take a deep breath and you focus on being present. Things focus on what you see, hear, feel, smell, taste. A mindful minute might be a practice that you can incorporate into your day, into your rhythm of rest. Perhaps it's meditating on God's word as God renews our mind. 
Perhaps it's expressing awe and wonder by going for a walk or stepping outside. Guys, the sun rises and sets every day, but how often do we notice, how often do we stand in awe of God's glory, of God's creation? And finally, prayer and listening. Having quiet moment, not just a quiet moment with your phone, but a quiet moment alone. Now, these moments are hard to carve out. Um, in fact, I, I had one of these moments, and I keep going back to it. I, it was like a very small moment, but I have been savoring this moment all week because one time this week, I was alone in an elevator, and I did not pull out my phone. And it was excruciating until... God brought someone to mind, someone who is walking through a hard time, and I had a moment to pray for her. And had I pulled out my phone like I wanted to, in fact, I reached into my pocket and thought, I'm only going up three floors, so like, that's not a lot of time. But I created this moment, and I keep going back to it. Like, it was just a moment where I was alone with God and had the opportunity to pray for a friend. Have you ever gone on vacation and like not checked your email or not gotten any news updates and then you came back and you like got all caught up and you realized like how did the world go on without me? Nobody asked me about these like big world decisions that were happening while I was on vacation. But doesn't it kind of feel good to not know what's going on? Guys, you can take a vacation from your phone anytime. You can put your phone on Do Not Disturb. You can turn off your news notifications. It is okay to take a deep breath, to carve out some quiet places in your life, to dial down the noise and the crowds just a little bit. We have it in our control to do that. The second rhythm of rest, the way of Jesus teaches us how to dial down the struggle and cultivate Sabbath. See, restlessness is a struggle against rest. Divine rest dismantles that restlessness both internally and externally. You see, God didn't just rest on the Sabbath day. God created rest on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day. Um, Abraham Heschel, who I quoted earlier, the Jewish rabbi, he wrote a book called The Sabbath, and in it, he talks about Judaism as a religion of time and not of space. And French is actually translated an architecture in time. He writes that technical civilization is man's conquest of space. It is a triumph frequently achieved by sacrificing an essential ingredient of existence, namely time. He says that when we rest in God, we are creating a palace in time. I think that is like beautiful, poetic imagery. And, and I've been reflecting on that and considering what I am building with my time. And perhaps that's something you should consider too. What are you building with your time? And a better question is maybe, what should you be building? What could you be building with your time? Building time in for rest, time to be restored. And my preparation for this message I write about mathematicians and artists and scientists and philosophers and world leaders, all who built rest into their schedules, and they attribute much of their success to building that rest in. Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin both worked four-hour days, but were still able to crank out a lot of work. 
Kierkegaard and C.S. Lewis, both philosophers and theologians, were known in their respective countries for long afternoon walks. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that walking and talking are lovely, but rarely should they be done together. Walking in solitude is an act of rest. Churchill, George Marshall, Dwight D. Eisenhower all carved out time to take a nap every day. And last I checked, they had very busy schedules and very important jobs. Nobel Prize winner Marie Curie was an avid cyclist, and she uh, credits her exercise, a time of rest and restoring, to being able to sustain time in the lab. And Tolkien was um, an avid, as a child, he was a, an avid linguist. He made up his own languages, and he imagined the places where these languages would be spoken. And then he told these stories to his kids, and these stories became The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. He created a space for rest, for play, for imagination. See, all of these people built rest into their rhythm, into their time, because they knew what they were building was something important. They were building something to last. And I want to do that same thing with my life. I want to build something that lasts. I want to build something that points people to Jesus. And when we rest, we do that. When we work ceaselessly, who gets the credit? We do. We're pointing to ourselves when we never stop working. But when we rest, we are foreshadowing when all things will be restored in God, complete our relationship with God, with creation, with one another. I want to point people to Jesus and build something that lasts out of my time. The third way of Jesus teaches us how to dial down this stuff and cultivate simplicity. Walter Brueggemann is a biblical, theolo- a, a biblical scholar, and he says that rest, the act of rest, is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by production and consumption of commodity goods. It is a practical divestment so that neighborliness rather than production and consumption define our lives. We rest as God rested. We rest because God rests. And when we rest, we make space for our neighbors to rest too. Jesus sums up the whole law in two commands, love God and love your neighbor. It doesn't get much more simple than that. And that is the filter through which we measure what we fill our lives with. Maybe you need permission to simplify your life, to lighten your load. Maybe that looks like cleaning out your closet or cleaning up your calendar. Maybe it looks like making generous donations with your, with your stuff, getting rid of your, some of your stuff to make room for rest. Maybe it looks like being intentional with the gifts that you give this season or being intentional with the items that you bring into your home. Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Lead me to the life that is truly life. Lead me to the life that is rested in you. So this is a prayer to ask God, God, search my heart, see what is in my heart that is distracting, what is in my life that is distracting, what is in my home, on my schedule that is distracting me from the simplicity of loving you and loving my neighbor. What is it that is distracting us from cultivating simplicity? The fourth way of Jesus teaches us how to dial down our hurried pace and cultivate patience. 
you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but we're family, so I've, I feel comfortable admitting this, but I Googled what is the opposite of instant gratification because I was impatient enough to like wait what, for what the answer was. And um, the irony is not lost on me that the answer was delayed gratification. <laughs> Practicing delayed gratification. We have anything we want at our fingertips, right? We could find the answer to anything at any given moment, but practicing delayed gratification helps build our patience muscles, helps us cultivate patience in our lives. So maybe there are things that you want now, but that you don't need now. Does anybody ever go to Target, not because you need something, but because something might need you? Yeah, yeah, maybe we practice patience and we don't do that. We cultivate um, the space for patience. Slowing our body, slowing our brain, slows our soul and helps us cultivate patience. Engaging in slow acts like walking places, like reading a book, doing a puzzle, going fishing, things that take time help us cultivate our patient muscles. Accepting our limitations also help us cultivate patience. You see, we are mortals, right? We need rest. We do not have unlimited time, unlimited space, unlimited emotional capacity. Certainly, society puts limits on us. Maybe your season of life is putting limits on you. It's okay to recognize those limits and say no. That helps us cultivate patience and space to be present and to grow. Growing, especially spiritual growth, takes an abundance of time and abundance of grace. If we dial down just even a little bit the things that distract us, think about what we can make room for as we cultivate a calm and content heart. And we don't have to do all of this all at once. There is just a very lengthy list of practices that we could put in place as we create rhythms of rest in our lives. And again, perfection isn't the goal. Rest is the goal. Rest takes time. Anything that is worthwhile takes time. But when we do these practices, little by little, we will find ourselves more rested and more ready to do God's work in the world. There are a lot of things that are vying for our attention, a lot of things pulling us in a lot of directions at any given moment, a lot of things that could fill our hearts, that could fill our homes, that could fill our time. But there is only one thing worth giving our lives to, and that is Jesus, the one who gave his life for us so that we might have life to the full, life in him. So I would like, I would like to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And as you do, consider while your heads are bowed. Consider what new rhythms of rest you can implement this week. What practices can you put in place? Perhaps it's one, two, three. Maybe it's things that you need to take out so that you can make room for quiet, for simplicity, for patience, for rest and Sabbath. But yeah, I know each one of us has one of those things, that God is placing those things on our hearts. So my challenge is that you identify those in this moment. Perhaps you have not yet responded to the initial invitation where Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest. And if that is you this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can pray a prayer right where you are, stepping in to relationship, stepping in to rest in God. A prayer that sounds something like this. Jesus, we need you. 
We are carrying heavy loads and you generously give us rest. But we choose to believe that you died on a cross for us. And on that cross, you carried all of our sin, that you rose again to offer us new life, to offer us rest, restoration, and relationship, God. And we choose to accept that gift of grace and forgiveness and follow you fully restored with all that we have. Thank you, God, for rest. Thank you for new life. Thank you for relationship with you. With everyone's heads still bowed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to celebrate with you because you just made the best decision of your life. And since this is a new beginning for you, we want to help you mark this moment. You can do that by raising your hand right where you're seated. Remember the time that you let your burdens go and you took on the yoke of Jesus, a yoke that is full of rest and restoration. And we have a tradition around here that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and we tell you, welcome home.